0: This is the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by The Peers Project. Hello, Peers. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. Peers speaking, Peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Akitano, founder of The Peers Project, millennial entrepreneur, world traveller, podcast expert, Welcome back to another episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. If today's episode doesn't get your blood pumping, we're out of ideas. Meet our guest, Georgia Branch, the woman who grows seven-figure startups in her spare time. Impressive? Hell yes. But behind every successful byline comes a cost most of us don't choose to check. As the founder of mature age modeling agency Silver Fox and wellness brands such as Hempel CBD, Georgia has experienced the praise, recognition, and commercial status of being a true entrepreneurial success story. But she also felt the grief that comes from it. In today's powerful episode, Georgia shares her tale from PR girl to Forbes 30 Under 30, overcoming parental pressure and expectations, and the I in imposter syndrome. For those of you who haven't yet, make sure to take a screenshot of this episode right now, post it to your Instagram story, and tag us at The Peers Project, so that other peers out there can benefit from the wisdom of these incredible millennial entrepreneurs. Okay, without further ado, welcome Georgia Branch. Georgia. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. We're so excited to have you on the show today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here.
0: Amazing. So, you know, you and I recently connected via LinkedIn and when I looked into you and all of the amazing work that you're doing in PR and and business, I knew I had to have you come on the show. So I really appreciate you taking the time.
1: Oh, I'm very, I'm very pleased. I'm absolutely pumped. I've heard so many of your amazing interviews with other guests. So I'm feeling pretty honoured to be here.
0: Oh, so amazing.
1: Great. It's so a love-in.
0: Oh, so much love. <laughs> <laughs> so, so look, for those of us who don't know who you are and what you do, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: So I, um, I founded a couple of different companies. So I started out my entrepreneurial career um, with a mature age talent agency. So we basically found the niche that was being really underserved, particularly the baby boomer market that had really deep pockets but wasn't being talked to by advertisers, particularly in fashion and beauty. So my one of my girlfriends and I, um, who both had kind of relevant experience, came together and started an agency called Silver Fox, which focuses on mature age models. Um, that's now been in the making for five years it's all along the east coast of australia in um sydney melbourne brisbane and we've actually got a licensee in new zealand as well who's taken the reins and started her own business over there which is really great um, and then a couple of years after that, I also got involved in a hemp foods and CBD company called Trichomia. and that's the owner of two brands: Hempel, which is a CBD brand direct consumer in the US, and also Soulseed, which is a healthy hemp foods brand which is in coles and Woolies in Australia. So um, very different business story in that case. First time around, it was a completely bootstrapped you know just the two of us starting in our kitchen type idea and the second time around it was a you know angel investment that got us off the ground and then you know full on venture capital fundraising and um, a very different journey so really on the two different sides of the coin and um, most recently now I've, I've moved over to London in the last year And I've actually joined forces with a women's club over here who basically supports entrepreneurial women through networking um, opportunities and different events and things like that. And off the back of their brand that they've already built, we're now doing an investment arm. So Be Bold Investments, which is connecting female founders with female angel and VC investors to try and, you know, get some more money in women's pockets who are building big things and take them global.
0: Oh, I love it. Oh my goodness, Georgia, you've you've done so much and in such a short amount of time, and I can't wait kind of dive a bit deeper into the businesses and, and the making of. But before we do, I'd love to start with a question that I've often found to be very insightful and revealing, and that is, where did you grow up, and how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far?
1: I grew up in Sydney, Australia. I grew up in the inner west. Um in a suburb called Abbotsford, a really nice little spot on a river, um, very sunny place. Had a nice swimming pool. Uh, I was an only child. I'm an only child, still an only child, and um, I had two doctors for parents. Um, so I was very lucky to live in a beautiful spot. You know, having the beach very close by, uh, very kind of coastal lifestyle. I love Sydney. I've you know lived up there up until recently for most of my life. And um, I never really expected to take an entrepreneurial journey, to be honest. I think um, when I was growing up, I was always expected to become a doctor or a scientist or a lawyer, you know, those sort of like prestige careers that your parents are always like, yeah, that's like... That's a red-hot career right there. And so I took a very different path, and I thought I was being totally rebellious when I went to university and did a public relations and international studies idea, sort of focusing on um, both my interest in French culture and France from an international relations perspective and speaking French, and then also um, combining that with a publicity slant, because I think at that point I just wanted to have fun, and I thought that PR seemed like a really good way of doing that. So... (laughs) Turns out it's like really long hours and not always that fun and much less glamorous and sexy. I mean, there, there's definitely glamorous and sexy moments, but they're really moments um, rather than all day, every day, which is what I was envisaging. Probably, you know, watching the hills or something and getting the wrong idea. So um, yeah, I that's that's sort of how I started out. And to be honest, it was such a great Way to start out my career. You're in an agency environment, it's very high energy, very high um, pressure because you're always working with smaller budgets. You're constantly competing with like the media buyers and, um, you know, creative agencies and things like that to get the allocation of budget from your clients. You get so much experience. So you're working, you know, sometimes up to You know, 10 clients at once. So you're doing lots of things in lots of different niches, dealing with loads of different stakeholders, dealing with the media, coming up with things that are worth talking about and newsworthy stories, which is such an important part of, you know, going into business and brand marketing and positioning of brands and things like that moving forward. So for me, I think I serendipitously fell into a very nice breeding ground um, for the next stage of entrepreneurship.
0: Yeah, I find that so interesting, It, you know, uh, the fact that your parents were doctors and, you know, as you said, you were kind of expected maybe to be a doctor or a lawyer or you know, a scientist, something super kind of, you know, that traditional trajectory. You know, can you talk to us a little bit more about how you that rebellious kind of attitude you had you know when you told your parents that hey I'm gonna you know I just want to have fun and I'm gonna go study media and PR and and do that kind of stuff you know what was the conversation like you know how did you really start to pave your own path
1: yeah so the conversation was pretty interesting because they still have no idea really what PR is. Um, And I think that a lot of people in that generation don't really understand it. They either think that you're some sort of political lobbyist, spin doctor, you know, worst of the worst sort of vibes. Um, And then the other side of it is they think that you're a journalist. So they're wondering why it's not your name in the paper and your byline because you've done all the work to create this story, but you're not in the story, and, but if this is about somebody else, and this is another journalist who's written it, so you haven't really done anything here. There's nothing visible, and you have to explain, okay, I'm the behind-the-scenes person and this and that, and they're like, oh, the spin doctor. And it's like, no, it's not really a spin doctor. It's more about creating a message and getting the word out there about something. Anyway, so that was quite interesting because they thought I was doing something which, in their words, was totally Mickey Mouse and um not very valuable in terms of a skill set and um i think i just you know i'm one of those people where i feel energetically something is moving in the right direction for me and i'm like you know what this feels right i'm gonna keep going down this path i met some great people there actually a lot of people who i um went to university with have gone and built really successful businesses of their own um, a bit Notable mention: a guy called Troy Douglas, who's the founder of Nexpa, which is a really big um, uh, drinks business. Which is also Coles, Woolworths have just moved into the UK into London, and he was in the same cohort as me. So, for me, I think that it was definitely something which was not a limiting path whatsoever. It was more so just a way of understanding: okay, how can I really get to the core of a target audience, understanding problems, what they need, how to message, and how to serve those people, and yeah, that, that's kind of where I where I felt that it led me. But in terms of the whole rebellion thing, um, I definitely didn't think that I was being rebellious by starting my own business. I did actually when I was at work and I was still working. I was at Westfield internally doing their PR and um, decided that I was going to start up this business. But I wanted to sort of hedge my bets and not jump ship until I knew that we were on to something that was going to be quite... Um, a a bit of a go-off like we just had no idea if there was any real need for this we'd sort of spoken to some magazines we'd spoken to some people about you know did they feel underserved would they be buying more if they were uh targeted in advertising And there was all this research to show that they would be because, you know, the purchase intent increases if you see yourself in advertising. So whether that's you see somebody ethnically representative of you or age um, representative of you or um, body shape representative of you, you're much more likely to convert and buy because you can see yourself, um, you know, seeing is believing type thing. and, And it really helps brands make a connection. So we thought we had a really good idea but i remember just sitting there on the phone trying to cold call and get casting directors to talk to me and say hey you know we're this new agency and then we um we finally thought we were onto something and my my friend who i was started this with bridget Warren, she was a very successful model working for one of the big agencies in sydney and she decided okay this is it we're going to jump ship we're going to go and let's properly launch this and do a media release and obviously in pr world that was like my number one thing we have to do a media release and to be honest it's been very very successful strategy for us that's definitely been the tipping point all the publicity that the agencies had because we've never spent a cent on um marketing it other than doing earned media and um I remember we wrote this media release saying that it was, you know, it was Bridget Warren and then there were some silent investors and I was like, I'm the silent person behind the scenes and I've invested $5,000, you know, it was just like hilarious. So I look back on that and it's kind of funny now, but it was... um, yeah, I think, you know, for people who are starting up their business and in the corporate world, you know, there's absolutely no reason to completely jump ship from corporate world straight away, test the waters, have a bit of a side hustle and see how you go um, before fully committing.
0: It's a, it's such a thing, isn't it? It's like, when do I go in full time? Is this right? You know, is, is this something I actually want to be doing right now? I think, you know... I, find, I still find it fascinating that even before then you just really like push forward and was like, this is what I'm going to do. And I don't care if it's not what my parents think is good. I don't care if people are laughing at me at the agency I'm at. I'm just going to do this thing. You know, where do you think that comes from for you?
1: Um, I've always, you know what, I think it's because I was a bit older at school. So I was born in uh, the end of june so you know how the school system goes and basically i think most kids are sort of born around like september october maybe because of like holiday season i don't know um but then the school year sort of goes from like june to june or july to july or whatever it is in terms of your age so i think i was always a little bit at the older spectrum of the class so when you're young and at the older spectrum of the class, I think you just naturally a little bit bigger, maybe you're a little bit faster, maybe your language skills are slightly more developed because obviously everything's so nascent and small at that age. So I really always grew up very confident and always quite outspoken. I also think because I was growing up around adults all the time. So I was an only child, as I mentioned, I am an only child, as I mentioned, but also, a lot of my parents' friends chose not to have children. So they had very different lifestyles, but that was the social scenario in my home life. So I was always around older people and having, I guess, mature conversations or just being naturally thrown into these situations where that was the conversation that was happening, not by kind of choice or design. So I think that that always gave me a little bit of a... Um, you know, opinionated. I was always happy to speak up. And, you know, that one that would put my hand up. I remember we played this game in primary school where you had to make up a dictionary definition of a word. So the teacher would come up with a random word um, from the dictionary and everyone in the class had to write what they thought the definition was. So obviously nobody knew what this was. It was something like completely out there. And, I used to often win that game because the kids in the class used to think that my definition was actually the, you know, the most likely dictionary definition above and beyond the actual dictionary definition. And I don't know if that's because I was like speaking on their level or something, and just you know nailed it. But yeah, I think um, that little outspoken, opinionated voice was always there. So I've never been really shy to speak my mind or or speak up. Hmm
0: two questions for you. What do you think the value is of speaking up and being able to speak your mind? And then secondly, how can we get better at doing that? You know, for our peers out there listening who maybe they've got really great ideas or they want to do something a little bit different, but they're just a little bit, you know, hesitant to kind of step up and and step out.
1: Hmm. I think, you know, I've made the mistake a lot of times where I will try and speak up confidently on something where I'm only about 40% sure, you know, but I'll still just go for it. And every now and then you do get caught out and (laughs) and you've got to be at the point where you can laugh that off and just be able to move on. And I think that, you know, that bridge between obviously knowing your subject matter, being confident on something, but there is that little bit of naivety, I think, that does sometimes help you to speak up. There's you know, this whole syndrome where you can, um, you basically have people's levels of uh, knowledge on a particular topic, and that really determines how confident they are speaking. So if somebody knows absolutely nothing about a topic, um, but knows one or two little bits of things, they're more likely to say, oh, I've heard such and such, and they'll go in and talk about it. When somebody has a medium level of knowledge, you actually start to be a little bit cautious about what you say and a little bit cautious about how um, aggressively you go with a particular opinion because you understand that there's a lot more breadth of subject matter that you may not be familiar with and you question yourself a little bit and then but really you have plenty to say and you have plenty of expertise so that's the time when you should really you know make an effort to to speak out and not second guess yourself so much i think this is the point where a lot of people get stuck and a lot of people have a lot of knowledge um but they get that sort of imposter syndrome vibe because they feel like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm getting there, but, oh, there's so many people out there who know so much more than me and I'm not qualified to say this. And, and that's, I think, where most people start getting stuck because if you know that you're a total novice but you're just kind of going for it, you can always go, you know what, guys, this isn't something that I'm good at. You don't have that as part of your ego that can get damaged because you feel as though if somebody calls you out on an error you've made well, you're like, oh, well, it's not my thing anyway, so no big deal. When you're in that middle section where you've got, you know, a few years of experience, or you've researched something intensely, and you're looking to, you know, grow and um, perpetuate a career in that sphere, or um, look for job opportunities in that sphere, or make an impact in that sphere, that's when you start to second guess yourself. And then when you get to the super, super, super ten thousand hour expert level you actually have this like weird phenomenon where people go, oh, everyone else knows this stuff. I mean, this is common knowledge. Everyone must be aware of this. So, again, you go into this, I'm not really going to talk about this because, I mean, how boring. Everyone's onto this. I'm not the first one to be here. And you get to a a point where you don't really, um, I guess, socialise or um, expect to be sharing something outside of your particular niche network where everybody else is up to speed and knows, um, just as much as you do. But that's also an area where obviously they're the kind of people that you desperately want to hear from. And you find over time, I think that people who, um, have become experts in a particular area now just because of the world of social media and, um, the access to different levels of information, people are much more open-minded, I think, at that expert level, which is amazing, um, but there's still so many experts who don't speak out enough and, um, you know, think that there's plenty of people covering that subject, so they don't need to to speak up or push, put their point of view forward, and, and I think that that's a miss, because everybody has a different perspective and something to say. Mm-hmm.
0: How can we get more confident, regardless of which level? I love how you presented that, the different levels. You know, I just think it's so true. But how can we get more confident, if, even if we are at the level of we actually know this so well, back to front, inside out, to actually say something, to actually speak up? You know, I think there's one thing to know it. And then there's one thing to actually be like, you know what? I'm going to speak on this and I'm going to do that confidently. Like, how how can we gain that confidence?
1: I think it's just practice you know, and I think the whole thing with imposter syndrome is such a real thing. And it's something that I've definitely felt, you know, when you walk into that room and you see all these people that you really look up to and aspire to. And at the end of the day, they're just people. You're in that room for a reason. Make sure that you're making the most of every room that you're in. Make an impact, leave an impression, make sure that you network and make connections. Um, I think that I've definitely in the earlier days missed out on some of those opportunities, but now I'm, just, you know, you've just got to be that person. The more times you walk up and go, Hey, how are you? I'm Georgia. Great to meet you. What do you do? This is what I do. It becomes easier every single time. So it's practice and it's consistency. And I think consistency is the hardest one because you can say to yourself, okay, you know what, today I'm just going to do it. And then you do it and you get a pretty good result and you go, okay, fine, I've done it. Like, oh, okay. I spoke out, I did that speaking event or, you know, I did that podcast or I did, you know, I could participate in that media interview and you're like, all right, job here's done. I'll leave that on the back burner for six more months. It's about continuously going and consistently looking for more opportunities. And I think, In this world, you do get very lucky. I think that people, um, you know, sometimes it's serendipity and you find each other and you seek each other out and you end up in a great um, mutually beneficial uh, speaking engagement or, you know, career opportunity or whatever it might be. But you do get a lot further if you're consistently putting yourself out there and attracting opportunities to come to you.
0: Oh, I love how you say, like, attracting opportunities and creating them for yourself. I think that is so valuable and just so important. You know, I want to dive a bit deeper into your story. So, you've attracted so many opportunities. Oh my goodness. You kind of mentioned already your first business where you really created that out of nothing. You know, talk to us a little bit about what were the first couple of steps you took to get that one off the ground and then kind of how that led to perhaps, you know, the second business, which I think much about a year and a half after that.
1: Correct. So when we wanted to get it off the ground, I think the first thing that we started with was a need. So I was working for Westfield, as I mentioned, um, as in their national marketing team doing publicity. And we were looking at all of our customer data and we realized that the people that were spending the most in our stores and you know in our shopping centers were not being represented in our ads. And then we wanted to go and find more people who looked like that customer profile. So, you know, a little bit older, somebody who is potentially even a grandmother. So she's got two generations as well as herself that she's buying for, as an example. And started talking to talent agencies that we worked with and realized that we couldn't find these people. They just weren't represented as a. Group. There was a few classic models, but really a classic model was somebody who was in her mid 30s potentially, and that was about as old as it seemed to get five years ago. So we had a session later with Bauer Media, and Bauer Media was talking about how it would be great if they could get some more diverse women from an age perspective in their magazines because that was who was buying the magazines. So they wanted to serve this customer, be more inclusive but we're finding it really difficult. They continually were using the same faces and they wanted more fresh faces and diversity. So I was like, okay, there's a real need here. I knew that I couldn't do this business by myself because I didn't have at that point, you know, an understanding of how exactly the modeling industry worked more so from a scouting um, model relationship and management perspective And I needed somebody who I could work with on this. So I had this idea for a couple of months and then through a friend was actually introduced to my business partner, Bridget, who was, as I mentioned, a successful model. And she was 26 as well at the time. And she was already feeling as though she was being phased out by her agency because she was getting over the hill. So she really resonated with this idea. And I think that finding her and a co-founder was the reason that this idea ever got off the ground it was just an idea i would never have been able to execute this idea without her and her deep intimate knowledge of the industry and how it works from a model's perspective and you know the software that they're using and the way that it all needs to operate from a you know a casting perspective and um a, you know agent perspective so that was invaluable because an idea as good as it is, is just an idea until you get to the point of execution and you need the right team to be able to execute any plan. Um, I hugely admire anybody who can do everything by themselves. Uh, I certainly can't. So yeah, I think that finding the people with the skill sets that fill the holes is, is hugely important. So once Bridget and I got together, we really started to look at what is the key demographic that we want to go after in terms of talent, Who are our customers going to be? So are they going to be brands directly? Are they going to be casting directors? Are they going to be production companies? Started building a big list of that. And then we got to the name and we got so stuck because we were wondering what is a positive term related to ageing? We just couldn't even come up with something positive. So the only word that we could find that was positive when it came to ageing, because we didn't want to go for grey or Yeah, just there were so many negative words that just felt really drab. And then we came up with Silver Fox and that just really resonated with us. We thought, yeah, that's sexy. That's hot. That's a bit hilarious and memorable. So we decided to go with that name. And once we, yeah, once we had that name, then we got a Squarespace account. We started setting up a blog, started getting our social channels up. So we did Instagram. We did Facebook. We just started posting pictures, posting blog articles about, you know, cool women who were killing it at any age, naturally beautiful. One of my favourites at that time was May Musk, who's Elon Musk's mum, and she's got the most amazing story. She's had a very difficult life, brought up this big tribe of children. Obviously, one of whom is just wildly successful. Um, she's a dietitian herself. She's a model. She is pretty unbelievable. Just a cool ass bitch. So was writing a lot about her, found some other really cool, um, you know, the Iris app of the world. It was, it was a really fun, um, way of starting to build a bit of community, starting to get some social media followers. And then we knew that we needed to do a casting. And when we did the casting, we just rented this crappy studio that was really cheap on Oxford street in Sydney and put out an ad on Facebook and put, you know, 50 bucks or something like that behind it. And we ended up having 100 people come and audition for the agency. It was such a wild day. It was just person after person after person. We really expected to have, you know, 10 faces show up at the most. That would have been an amazing result for us because we were absolute nobodies. And um, we ended up having so many people come through, just really believing in the whole vision and feeling as though they were underserved personally Some people said you know what i may not be a model but i just wanted to come in i was in the city it was only a 10 minute walk up from my office and i just wanted to say you guys are doing such a cool thing my friend shared it with me on facebook so it just all happened really organically from the get-go and i think that all of the success that we've had has really been based on earned media word of mouth um building that sense of community because we have such a strong group of people who really just support what we're doing and are happy to speak on our behalf. You know, our models who've gone on TV and spoken about their experience or gone and spoken to the papers about their experience, gone on podcasts like this and spoken about their experience. So we don't even need to do the talking anymore. It's just all um, coming out through the people who are associated with the agency and the brands are getting great results as well. So um, that's a testament to the fact that we have so much repeat business and clients that have been with us since basically day dot, including Westfield, who's been a massive supporter of um, our business. So that was a big win for me as well.
0: Oh, it's just so amazing. And I think, you know, often we think, you know, often we almost expect the opposite. We expect a hundred people to show up on the day that we, you know, we tried so hard, but for you guys, it was like, we didn't even, we don't even expect many people and we don't expect too much. You know, I'd love to talk a little bit about the the challenges and perhaps something I like to call the dark side of business. So it seems to me like at the start, it was just absolutely, you just absolutely killing it and you just went for gold and it was all working out for you guys. Was there a point where you really kind of felt stuck or did this happen in the second business? You know, was there a point where you kind of thought, oh my goodness, this is tough. Like, how are we going to do this?
1: Oh, my God. So many times, so many times, so many times. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, in this in Silver Fox, we decided um, in 2019 to go after the U.S. market because we saw that the U.S. market didn't have – on the uh, West Coast, so in LA, an agency that was doing what we did. And everything was going so well. We'd been growing consistently. We'd built our team. We'd just sold a license in New Zealand. Um, so we were feeling as though we were getting a lot of traction. And we decided to go after the US market. And what a minefield just getting set up in the US and California in particular. I do not recommend it, just don't do it. Um, That was just a minefield, but we persisted. And then we went through, I think, four managing directors, but getting paid big US dollar salaries who talked such a big game, had amazing experience, but just couldn't deliver for us. And that was really disappointing. Um, And then we just started getting some good traction and COVID rolled around and we had to pull the plug because we just couldn't keep, you know, putting more and more and more money into this when we knew it was going to be inevitably at least six months until it turned around but having said that it was a really hard decision to pull out of the U.S. particularly when we were starting to get some momentum but ultimately it was the best thing that we could have done because it made us just refocus laser focus on Australia and um, you know diversify the business a little bit. We've actually in the time during COVID when it was a bit of downtime we made an online modelling course to help people get more up to speed about the standards and expectations when it comes to e-commerce modelling. Um, obviously, a very niche course, but another part of our business that we can now scale and grow. And since uh, all the lockdowns finished in New South Wales and Victoria, it's just been the biggest months of the business. So um, it's been incredibly successful. There's been a lot of pent-up demand. I also think that culturally and just on a world stage, there's been so much focus on diversity and inclusivity this year obviously with um black lives matter movement it, it just sent so much of a wave into the diversity conversation not just from a ethnicity perspective and a um, privilege perspective but also from every angle when it came to diversity and that certainly circled back around to us and and been very beneficial for our business as well and the results in the last three months have just been unbelievable so um yeah, definitely, definitely a tough time at the beginning of the year. And you know, when you're looking at your balance sheet and just going, Oh my goodness, we've invested so much here. You know, this is a huge we've made a huge mistake. How do we pull ourselves out from the brink? Um But you you know what, we managed to keep all of our staff on. We managed to build a new element in our business that we never expected that we were going to do that's scalable and we can, you know, give a really good nudge next year. And um, You know, we managed to keep all of our models, um, you know, paid and getting some rollovers and work. We were constantly trying to make sure that we were uh, ensuring that they had all of their, you know, images that were being reused because of the fact that nobody could shoot, um, you know, manage in a proper way. So it was... In the end, it was really good, and I think it's basically put us on a very good tra- trajectory for next year. But, yeah, we definitely went from the brink at the beginning of the year to now feeling really confident again. But it was, yeah, it was dark days um, at, at certain points. And and also just being completely disconnected and not being able to go over there and travel and, and try and support the business. So, yeah, that was an interesting turning point. And then I think, you know, with my other businesses as well, we had so many ups and downs. I mean, one of the biggest struggles that we've had across the board with my businesses, I think I just picked them, is struggles when it comes to advertising. So <laughs> we have, um, and particularly Facebook, Facebook genuinely hates me and um, I've been completely banned I, I noticed you're a smart company contributor, actually. I've done a couple of contribu- contributions for smart company, and one of them is about how I'm banned on Facebook, and they will never let me back. And I've run out of requests, and I'm blacklisted forever, permanently banned. I actually appealed to them recently and said, please, 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 you know, I've, I've done all your courses. I need to advertise again. I'm not doing anything that you don't like. Because basically I had um, Silver Fox, which was, exclusionary because we were only looking for mature age models. So it didn't like that. Um, And then with the hemp and CBD business, Facebook can't differentiate between um, hemp foods, which are literally protein powders, snack bars, and cannabis that you smoke and get high from. So Facebook can tell every single person that I'm friends with and suggest you know, friends, and exactly who I'm tagged in in a photo, but it can't differentiate between marijuana and a protein powder. So, and this sounds like really trivial and really silly, but when you're building a direct consumer business like we were in our second um, business with Hempel and Soulseed, not being able to advertise on Facebook is a really big problem because it's such a reliable performance marketing channel. So, Facebook is able to recognize. Genuinely, anyone in any photo that I put up, even if I haven't tagged them or in any way interacted with them, it all suggests it to me. It knows everybody that I know and more, but it can't tell the difference between a hemp protein powder and a joint of cannabis. So it really doesn't make any sense. And it's, and a lot of people who um, I know that are in this industry and people who are doing um, functional mushrooms and um, hemp foods and CBD and all these types of businesses, even supplements businesses, have huge amounts of trouble advertising on Facebook. And it can be really detrimental to your overall performance marketing plan because you lose out on this really scalable and predictable way of generating revenue for your businesses. So that also was something which was consistently really hard, but really forced me much more down this Um, PR route that I've kept coming back to over and over again and using earned media influencers in a scalable way that can help to grow the the brands so sort of in a very backwards fashion these problems have all led me back into this um, PR mindset where I'm now looking at okay well there is really a lot of value in earned media and I think that it's something that is way less sexy at the moment. Everybody's just talking about Facebook ads. And um, yeah, having, having been completely banned, absolutely. I actually tried to start a new Facebook um, advertising account on my fiance's account, but was advertising things to do with me. And as soon as it saw my face, it <sighs> shut him down. Oh my goodness. I can't even imagine being banned from Facebook. And I'm so
0: proud of you guys for navigating through that. Oh my goodness. But... So, you know, as we come to the close of today's episode, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge you and, and you know, for the phenomenal work you've done and that you're doing for really showing us, you know, as young women, that we can go out there, we can pursue the path less traveled, we can go against our parents' wishes, and we really can build something for ourselves. And for that, we really appreciate you. So the final question is how we finish every episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. and that is. What is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about?
1: I think the value in pursuing what you're most passionate about is that it just gives you the drive to continue going through the hard things and continue finding solutions. So it makes it very hard to give up because you're constantly striving because of a mission and a passion project, not just because you're looking at a you know the bottom line or trying to impress your investors which of course you're always trying to do or because you're trying to do something which you're supporting somebody else's passion. I think that that's also something which is really important to say you know you can change what you do in a business. You don't need to be consistently um, passionate about something, enduringly passionate about something and you may realize that what you're passionate about is not necessarily a great business and that's okay and you don't need to try and retrofit it. You can have a passion and you can have a difference. Um, but I think that when you're passionate about something it just does make it easier to get through those tough times because you fall back on something which you're really motivated by, want to continue pursuing, you know, you're reading about it, it's a on an interest level to you. It's not just a business level. So I think that that really does help, um, particularly if you're a naturally inconsistent person like me, who's the kind of one that does everything at the last minute and you know, always submitted my exams at university two minutes before the deadline. Being passionate about something really does help to give you a little bit more momentum and consistency so that you can buck those trends in your own personality and, and stay motivated and stay on on target.
0: I love it, Georgia. Oh my goodness, just so great. We've had an absolute blast. For those of us who want to learn a bit more about
1: you, where can we go? So the best place to go to learn a bit more about me is um, I do have a public Instagram at georgiabranch.co. You can find me at georgiabranch on LinkedIn. I'm posting on there as well. I also have a website at www.georgiabranch.co and I will be doing some, a lot of content around like PR, uh, earned media, how you can integrate that into your performance strategies. So just really putting into practice all of this stuff that I learned over the last 10 plus years in PR and entrepreneurship um, into nice little packages that, that people can learn from and shout any questions my way as well. Amazing.
0: Oh, you're so amazing, Georgia. And we will link them up in the show notes. Thank you so much again. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that. Piers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do, which is our way of saying inspirational. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify or any app where podcasts are played and leave us a review. We produce with passion. And it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers.